0: Before we do our readings this morning, I'll offer uh, a brief prayer on all of our behalves. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you that we are here and that uh, you have a word for us today. We pray, draw us close to yourself this morning. We welcome your word to us and may your good word do its good work in our hearts and may all other words slip away. May there be one voice we hear today May that be your voice of truth and grace. Amen. So the first reading is from uh, Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, and then we carry on through to the end of chapter 2. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. And the second reading from the Gospel of John, from verses 23 through to verse 28. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and will glorify it again. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning. It's lovely to see you this morning. My name's Heather, part of the team here um, at Cornerstone. My dad told me that there's a book that is really close to important. as Well, he said it was really, really important. It was just second to the Bible. I thought, okay, Dad, I need to listen to this. And he said, it's the greatest piece of theological fiction the world has ever seen. And I was thinking, well, okay, is that... Um, What is that? Is that the Lord of the Rings, or what is it? He says it's a forerunner to that. Does anybody know what it is? Oh, (laughs) it was written before The Hobbit. It was the forerunner to it, Pilgrim's Progress. Written in the 1600s, there's 1300 editions, and it's written into 200 languages. And he said this, Pilgrim's Progress, um, it says, The Pilgrim's Progress, the journey from this world to the next, was written by John Bunyan, and it tells the story of Christian, a man, who is traveling through and meets all these different companions. One of the companions he meets is called Hopeful, and Hopeful and he were walking along a path which was rocky and just really unsteady underfoot. And there was a meadow on the side, beautiful bypath meadow it was called. And he thought, I'll take a shortcut. I'll, I'll go this way. It, it, it's sure to get me to the same destination. So he goes on this shortcut, but he's captured by a giant called Giant Despair, and he's thrown into a dungeon of Doubting Castle. It's a great book. It's a great thing. <laughs> and he says, it's nasty and stinking, and then writes this. Now, in this place, they had double sorrow. The path Who would have thought that the path would have led us so far from the way? Who would have thought that the path would have led us so far from the way? And my mind went to our 8th century BC prophet, to Jonah, who was found in this stinking and nasty place. Who would have thought that I would have ended up so far from the way? He was born north of Nazareth um, in the northern kingdom of Israel. And he had found out that this detour to Spain, Tarshish, Spain, yeah. <laughs> he had found this detour to Spain was far more appealing than obedience. But he'd ended up in this nasty and stinking place. Now, if we rewind a little bit to Jonah 1, where we were last week, was there something about delivering this message of God that was, uh, I don't know, unpa- uh, like un- unfamiliar? Was this something new that was happening? No, Jonah wasn't alone in delivering messages from God in those days. We have Hosea in the Northern Kingdom in 760 BC, and he was emphasizing the love of God. And Amos, he was emphasizing the righteousness of God. And Isaiah was emphasizing the holiness of God. And Micah had a message of God's leadership. And Jonah, Jonah had a message of repentance and forgiveness. So what's the problem? Now Jonah didn't want to be associated with that message at all in any way because of who it was to. How could he look his friends in the face? How could he look at his community in the eyes when he was delivering a message of repentance and hope to people who had flayed his people, who had brought all manner of torture in. His friends had suffered so deeply. How could he then deliver this message of hope? So Jonah took the decision to take a, a more reasonable path and, and just, just to, to go into this bypath meadow that just looked a little bit more palatable. Did he speak to God about demoting him to second place? D- did he say that now he was in charge of his destiny? No, I, I don't think so. God, did- God wasn't consulted in this whole journey. He wasn't consulted in the move to Joppa. He wasn't consulted in getting on the boat to Tarshish and going hundreds of miles in the opposite direction. We don't read that Jonah engaged with God at any point in chapter one. Why should he? Because he put God on the bench and he continued to go his way. But when that storm rose, when that storm came up, then Jonah knew that God wasn't some disinterested bystander. God wasn't some disinterested bystander. He was invested in his prophet. He cared for the people of Nineveh and he cared for his runaway prophet. This was taken out by East Sands. It was appalling last year, wasn't it, the storms? <laughs> Just terrifying. I was in the sea on Tuesday, or oh, this is off script. I was in the sea on Tuesday, and the waves were so high, and the person next to me was tumbled in the waves, and I thought, oh, it's all right, I've done this for two years. And I walked in, and then I was tumbled in it, and then I thought, oh, I'll do it again. And I, I was tumbled again. It's such a powerful body of water at the sea, isn't it? It's massive, and... and, and Uh, Yeah, and and (laughs) beyond us, and it was beyond him. So what does he do? Does he turn to God? No, Jonah didn't want to lift his eyes to meet God. He didn't want to look at the one he'd run from. He didn't want to see or speak to the God that he had let down. Jonah was done with Jonah. Ending his life seemed to make a lot more sense. So he said, throw me, throw me out, throw me into the wrath of God. Throw me into the hand of God. But God wasn't convinced about Jonah's early retirement plan. (laughs) God had not given up on Jonah. Far, far from it. And what we see in chapter 2 is this. We see Jonah finding a very strange salvation. We look at verse 4 to 6 where there's a greater fear than the one that we anticipate. And then in the end, we look at there's a time, a time to surrender. So this strange salvation, can you imagine it being thrown out into that level of raging sea? Can you imagine dropping down to the depths with the current swirling as he speaks about it? And, and then you find yourself in this cavernous space where there's this thudding heartbeat just by your head. <laughs> and there's these gurgling stomach noises. I mean, it must have been terrifying. Was he buried alive? Had he woken up in hell? Where was he? What was happening? What, what was the thing that he did straight away, the first reflex action he had? What would have been yours? He cries out to the God that he ran from. That's, the, that's his first, first, first point. That's the first thing that he does. He, he turns to the Lord of heaven and earth, not the God that he had seen the sailors cry out to, gods of fertility and rain and harvest. No, no, no. He cried out to the Lord of heaven and earth. And I, what would your prayer have been? I think my prayer would have been, get me out of here, Lord, like as fast as possible, rescue, get get me, get me out of here. But we read that Jonah prayed, that God listened, that God answered, but he was still in the fish. <laughs> so if God listened and God answered, how how was he still? in in the middle of this fish? How how was he not out? Isn't the best thing, the first thing, to get the man out of danger, to get the man out of the fish? But the fish was God's rescue. This salvation doesn't look like good news, does it? That, that, That doesn't feel like good news. Salvation doesn't always look like good news. When we think about the man on the hill outside Jerusalem on that Passover Friday, that looked like bad news. That looked like everything was crumbling down. That didn't look like rescue. But that's exactly what it was. A rescue that was soul deep and creation wide. It was a rescue that was, that was created in the heart of God for people who couldn't make it on their own. That God's rescue doesn't always look like good news, but God knew what he was doing. God knew what he was doing. And in this darkness, something started to happen. Something started to happen in this cavernous, beating, terrifying space. Verses of scripture started filling the air as as Jonah called out to his God. Here's, here's some references of, of what Jonah prayed. As he called out, as he called out to the Lord, and he prayed from the inside of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord as God said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. He answered me, from, the, deep, of, from deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, you listened to my cry. This is all from the Psalms. So he's calling out with the voices of the Psalms. And then he says, Lord, you hurled me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, you hurled me. Wait a minute, Jonah, <laughs> just, just back up a bit. God didn't hurl you in there, did he? The sailors hurled you in. When, when you gave up on life, when you were in despair, the sailors hurled you into the depths. But, God, but Jonah puts this at the door of God. He says, you hurled me in there. You put me in this place. That makes it sound like Jonah's God is, is harsh, right? That it's a bit extreme. Surely there's another way to restore this relationship. Surely there's, there's some other way to make it good. Sometimes, though, we can only learn in the dark. Is that fair? Sometimes there are things that we can learn in the dark that we can't learn in the light. Have you ever felt so frustrated with your relationship with God? Has it ever felt so dry and dusty and hard that you've asked him to throw you overboard? I wouldn't recommend it. (laughs) But have you ever felt like that? Just, I'm so sick of this, Lord. I I just, I I don't sense your presence. I, I don't know where you are. John Webster says, when our hearts become hard, we cease to expect much from God. We allow ourselves to slip into cynicism and the life of faith, it withers. I was 21 and the people around about me, I saw were really meeting with God. They were telling me about wonderful quiet times and devotional practices they were engaging in. I was sitting in a conference, the person on my left was really connecting with what the speaker was saying, was in tears, and the person on my right was, and I'm just like, I'm cold. I, this, does, this is nothing, nothing. So I remember bowing my head and saying, God, whatever it costs, break me. Not a prayer. I would ever recommend anybody pray. But I was so sick of my cynicism. I was so sick of my pride. I was so sick of it. I'm like, God, just, just do something. Break me. The next morning, I woke up, went downstairs, um, and I was chatting to my mum, and my mum just looked at me and said, Heather, smile. I'm like, okay. So I smiled. She said, "Um, we're going to the doctor. I was like, why, why, mum? And she said, half of your face has dropped. I woke up with Bell's palsy the next day, paralysis of half your face. Did I remember that I'd prayed a prayer? No, I was in panic. I'm like, Lord, make this stop. Fix me. <laughs> make it stop. So I, I, we went to the doctor, and the first thing I was crying out, Lord, Lord, please fix this, get, get, this, get this off me, I make it make my face right again. I had to cancel all the parties I'd planned and all the people I was going to meet. Why? Because I had to keep on remembering to blink my eye, and my my I couldn't keep my mouth closed. So I had to hold my mouth. of was drooling food. And I was 21. <laughs> I'm like, come on, Lord. What was going on? God had my full attention. I was all on my own. Pretty isolated. Eight weeks. Eight weeks long it went on. And the other day, actually, it was yesterday. I was thinking, I wonder whether that little book that I started when I was 21 and I wonder whether I could find it. I found it. And all these verses that the Lord just brought alive to me. I was writing them down furiously. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that, Lord. I didn't. This is amazing. And there I am in my room, completely on my own, but in utter beautiful communion with the Lord. I didn't expect it at all. I'd forgotten about the prayer until eight weeks later when I remembered, oh, wait a minute. I asked for this. (laughs) This is what I asked for. And this is what God has actually given me. You hurled me into this. And I'm forever grateful. I'm forever grateful. I'd been clinging to worthless things, you know, popularity, identity, um, all of the things, and, and now I was just clinging to the one, and it was amazing, and it was beautiful. Can, can I give us a gift this morning? And I'm not saying this lightly at all. I wonder if it's possible to take our trials, to take our thorns, to take the tragedies that we have, whether the result whether they're the result of our rebellion, whether they're the result of somebody else's pride, like those sailors who caught up in Jonah's stuff, whether they're life things that have just been flung at us, that we take these and we bring them to the Lord as as an invitation into deeper communion. Do you know what I mean? As a thing that we sit down with look right at, but then say to the Lord, Lord, here we are. (laughs) What would you like to do with this? And put our weapons down and put the fight down and say, God, what do you want to do with this? I'm here. This is where I am. What do you want to do here? And in our weakness, meet with him and discover things in the dark that we couldn't find in the light. Let's move on to the next bit where Jonah starts to speak about a greater fear. So as we read this, um, this, this next section in verse 4, Jonah says, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The thing that was really disturbing Jonah in the middle of this, the thing that was creating terror in him, wasn't just the situation he was in. It wasn't just the heartbeat that he was hearing and the terrifying deaths. He says, I have been banished from your sight. I've been banished. This is more terrifying. John Webster says, i am quoting him twice today, but John Webster says, what's the only hope? The only hope is that the face of God may shine upon us that God would restore us by putting himself between us and our destruction, that God would intercept our death-dealing ways and that he would give us life. So is Jonah saying, I've been banished from your sight, is he saying, wait a minute, I'm gonna lose my salvation, I've lost my standing, I'm not safe anymore? No, no, we were just, we were just singing that no one can pluck us out of God's hand, right? No, we, were, we were just singing that in Christ alone. No, that's not what he's saying. Um, let me give you an illustration. Adrian and I are married. We've been married for. Hello? <laughs> we've been married for 26 years. And um, so we've been married for a long time. But sometimes, just like rarely, but sometimes, we, we, we don't see things the same way. Adrian was a physicist, I'm an artist. Sometimes that happens. <laughs> sometimes it's about really important things, like whether to stir a pot with a, a metal spoon or a, or a <laughs> wooden one, or, um, or how a shelf should go up. All these things are very important. Um, but sometimes we misunderstand each other and we go past each other. And it, it can be, that can be horrid, right? When you fall out with somebody, that, that can be horrid. Does that mean I'm not married to him anymore? No, I'm married. But, but it means that our communion and our fellowship has been dented and, and messed up. And, but what makes life fun and great is a friendship that is open and we're able to chat and, and respect each other and laugh and have communion together. Once you've known communion, then you understand banishment, Right? Once there's that closeness, then when that closeness isn't there, there's an ache inside. You've got to get it back. And Jonah's saying, God, I've got to get that back. I don't want to be banished from you. I need to be close again. Will you bring the closeness back? That's what I want. Jonah felt the distance. And sometimes we do too between us and the Lord. Sometimes there's coldness and distance and there's this ache inside. Lord, don't banish me. I I, want to be close. And I'm sorry for the way that I've messed up and run off to something different. Or ignored you or treated you like you're just, I don't know, arranging my social calendar, giving me friends at church. Sometimes it's become nothing more than that. I I want to come close again, Lord. I, I want to focus on us on our relationship, on being close. And this is what Jonah's saying. He's, I will look again to your holy temple. I want to be free, living before your sight. That's what I want. And that's where he comes to at the end here. He comes to verses seven to nine. This time to surrender. When my life was ebbing away, he says. When it was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. When my life was depleting and flowing out, that was the point of surrender. It's much easier to surrender there sometimes than in the light. (laughs) You know, for me, I'd wanted to be in control. I'd want to have a really full calendar. I was 21. I wanted to have lots and lots of friends. I wanted to be out there doing stuff, enjoying myself. And then the Lord put me into this storm, this Bell's palsy storm. Eight weeks in, I remembered I asked for this. This is what I prayed for. And I still remember where I was when I talked to the Lord about this at this realization. I still remember I was walking across from my room to my little sister's room. And I remember thinking and saying, Lord, actually I don't care if you fix me or if you don't fix me. But please can we keep this communion? Please, can we keep this sweetness? That's what I want. Please, I want to turn again to your holy temple. I want to be fully given over and fully surrendered to you. I want to lay down my rights and lay down my my control and lay down my idols. There in verse 8, Jonah says, Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Is Jonah here including himself in this? I don't know. Is he also saying though, I'm laying down my need for reputation in my community. I am laying down me choosing my own path. I'm laying down all these worthless things because I want you, God. I want you to be king. I want you to be the one who controls and and leads and guides me. I'm giving up the fight. I'm switching allegiance. I'm bringing you back from the bench, Lord, and I'm coming back off the throne. That's sometimes hard to do, right? We've been chatting to a very dear friend over the last couple of years actually about what it's like to follow Jesus, what the claims are that he makes of us, of himself, and what he asks us to do. And just a couple of weeks ago he said, Yeah, yeah, I get it. I, I totally get it. But I'm not ready yet. Because he's asking for my whole life, right? That that's a lot. That's a lot, and he's right, he's right. It is a lot, it is a lot. But what Jonah's finding, what, we're, what I found then was 21, is that actually it feels like a lot, but it's giving our life into the hand of one who loves us, who knows us, who, who knows how this works, into the hands of a powerful, strong, great and gentle shepherd. Jonah was ready. He was ready to give up his rights. And there we see he shouts out with praise. (laughs) When do you shout out with praise? Because we're normally quite inhibited creatures, aren't we? (laughs) When do you shout out? It's when your team wins. It's when you get the invitation to the palace. Do you know what I mean? You just, well, maybe not. (laughs) You just shout out with praise, yes. Yes, this is amazing. And Jonah shouts out with grateful praise, there's freedom in giving you the keys, in letting you run the show, Lord. There's freedom in this. God, I am yours. This, I, will, I will sacrifice, I will vow, I, I surrender to you. And before salvation and, and him being thrown up on, on the sand, before that, there needed to be this surrender and this meeting with God and this giving up of rights, to submitting to a greater authority, to one who knows the end from the beginning, who knows what is very best for the way that our lives should run. So I guess the question to us is, what do we do with this? What do we do with this as we get to Monday, Tuesday, this week, the challenges of it? Surrender is a A difficult word, isn't it? Because it comes normally at the end of a battle. But it's a word of of relief and of peace. And of choosing no longer to have to have control. My life, Lord. My future. My talents. My days are for you. God gives us the invitation in even the darkest storm to meet the one who loves us to meet him. Right there. Let's bow our heads together, as
2: Laura leads us in prayer. God of the storms, as you did with Jonah, meet with us in our personal storms. Meet us in the dark, stinking belly of the fish. Enter into our grief down the somber roads which our hearses drive and the worries of the what-ifs are discussed. Walk uninvited into every corner of our lives where we don't even dare to whisper our fears out loud. Stroll alongside us when we have difficult conversations And when anxious thoughts fill our sleepless nights. Step into the spaces where we say we feel forsaken. And enter into the belly of the fish so that we may feel your presence. Meet us there and in this meeting bless us. Meet us when we feel the need to run and be disobedient to you. Meet us when we can only see the storm and the depths of the darkest ocean. Meet us when we are fake brave and when all we can do is hold the basics of our life together day after day. Meet us when we can't say what we need to. Meters when being thrown overboard seems like the only option. Bless the things that we mistakenly think are already dead. Bless the chronically sick. Bless the one who has no one. Bless those of us who have never felt like they are enough but who you know already are and have always been. Bless it all and love only what you can love, the ugly, the abandoned, and the unsanitary. Thank you for seeing what we call ugly as beautiful and that in your compassion you wipe away all our tears. And when God of compassion you have told the fish to vomit us out. When you have made whole that which is broken, when you have ripped out my heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh, when you have reached into the graves that we dig ourselves and loved us back to life, don't stop there. And then give us one to one another. Teach us to really see each other make us one in this fractured world. Help us overcome the awkwardness of sitting in others' pain, fears, and anxieties. Open our eyes to where we can bring your kingdom to others in their storms. And help us to know that when we do not have enough compassion for the road ahead, that
0: you do, and that is enough. Amen.